0: Today on Growth Culture, how do you efficiently mix partner collaboration and internal apprenticeship to manage unprecedented demand? I'm your host, Adam Connor, and that's the focus for today's guest, Joe Heal. He's the Chief Revenue Officer of Zebra. And today we discuss how to develop a team responsibly given a blistering pace of opportunity among both existing verticals and new capabilities. Joe's got plenty of advice for other sales leaders looking to earn their own growth stripes and shares some of that secret sauce here. This is Joe Heal. Joe, how you doing? It's great to have you on the show. How are you?
1: Thanks, Adam. I'm doing well. Nice to be here.
0: I can't wait to dive a little bit more into what Zebra is and does. But before I get into that, your journey growing that business, let's start with you, because I was looking through your LinkedIn and checking around a little bit and saw that you went to school for electrical engineering and computer science, came out of MIT with a PhD in 1991. The Twitter page for the MIT 1991 class calls it the well-rounded class, and I guess so. If you went from that into a world of sales, how did you make that transition?
1: Yes, uh, I, I wasn't aware of that label for the class of '91, but um, I um, I certainly would, you know, offer my uh, journey as an example of that if I could. So um, yes, after um, attending MIT, uh, which wasn't the most straightforward thing for me to begin with, because I was, uh, uh, you know, German, uh, gone to school in Germany, went to college in Germany, and then uh, was accepted for graduate school at MIT. But after that, or Sort of towards the end of my PhD uh, time at uh, at MIT, I was exposed to McKinsey for the first time. It was more of a coincidence, where an office mate of mine said, uh, "You know, would you like to go and interview for McKinsey?" And uh, that turned into a thirteen year career in uh, in consulting, which uh, you know I really enjoyed. And at the end of that, I said, "You know, I'd like to go and do something more operational," and ended up with Sun Microsystems, which sort of combined. Uh, the two things that I had learned before, you know, one being uh, computer science and the other being, you know, how to solve problems in a business setting, which I think McKinsey taught me. Um, so I spent some time at, at Sun Microsystems and, and then some time at IBM. And more recently, I've uh, joined Zebra. Um, well, it's already seven years ago now that I joined Zebra. And that's where um, I, I am still today. So it has been a, a bit of a, a journey, but all the more, Uh, an experience that has shaped me into what I am, and and I'm excited to have had all those experiences.
0: Making that transition into something slightly more operational makes me wonder, what do you take today still from that time on the consulting side, which helps you grow teams? Because of course, the operational nature is something that you left for, but I'm guessing that team curation and growth is something that you learned there as a start.
1: Uh, Yes, indeed. I mean, McKinsey taught me a number of things. how to work in a team was certainly one of them. Um, in academia, where I was before, that wasn't necessarily the way that we worked. Um, it was more the individual contribution that mattered. Um, but the other important thing that McKinsey taught me was really problem solving. How to apply scientific problem solving to business situations, and uh, that's still one of the sort of core principles on which I. I operate today is, you know, good problem solving, I think, is at the heart of every successful, you know, business initiative, and that's something that I learned at McKinsey.
0: Well, then let's go right into the business problems that Zebra is solving. I'd love to know, and just for our audience, let's give them a little education. Uh, What is Zebra and what does it do?
1: Yeah, so, you know, Zebra is a company that very few people have heard of, but once I describe it to you, you'll start to see Zebra literally everywhere. We are a company that is transforming from a barcode technology provider to a leader in digitizing and automating workflows. Now, this company started over 50 years ago. It was a hardware company and basically made one product, which was a barcode thermal printer. Um, The types of labels that uh, you see on packages come off of those kinds of printers today. And in 2014, just after I joined, the company made a very pivotal acquisition, and that was of a significant portion of what was Motorola at that time. That business made both scanners, the types of things you might see at a checkout in a grocery store, and mobile computers for enterprises, the type of thing that you know a courier might be holding in their hand as they deliver a package. Together, those three big product families, printers, scanners, and mobile computers, provide the kinds of capabilities that you need to work with barcodes. Now, barcodes, of course, are everywhere today. You find them in retail, you find them in healthcare, you find them in transportation and logistics. 94 of the Fortune 100 companies buy products from Zebra today. And what we do is we provide solutions for workflows. You might go into a grocery store and you'll see clerks in the aisles Restocking shelves using our products. You go into a warehouse, you see them uh, putting uh, things onto shelves or retrieving them from shelves, or you see a courier delivering a package. Those are all things that Zebra does. Now, more recently, we've expanded beyond those products into more of the solutions, in particular the software that's driving those solutions. And that would be some of the acquisitions we made, companies like Reflexus, Antuit, and Fetch that are allowing us to grow into additional strategic areas on top of what you can do with barcodes.
0: So the business is very, very broad. It seems that you're very well penetrated into some of the largest businesses out there. And yes, listeners, maybe you'll go through that Bader-Meinhof phenomenon where you'll see zebra everywhere. When it comes to going to market, though, You've got a very broad team as a result. And I understand that channel is central to that go-to-market strategy. And so I'm interested to learn how your role as a sales team leader evolves to build collaboration with those folks, with your partners, to engage their customers, your customers, and deliver them the best value. And that's quite unique for the show so far. Most of the leaders that I've spoken with are growing their own teams within their four walls and not so much with partners. So I would love to hear your expertise there.
1: Indeed, this is one of the special features of Zebra and a a place where I think Zebra does very well, and I've certainly learned a lot uh, as I've come to Zebra, about how do you build a successful go-to-market that is based on partners. Zebra goes to market first and foremost through channel partners. 80% of our revenue goes through channel partners, and we have over 10,000 of them all around the world. This is very central to what we do because it multiplies our market presence and it allows us to reach literally every corner of the globe and many different use cases that we couldn't reach otherwise. What you have to think about is this, right? When you look at the customers for these barcode-type technologies, they range from a small restaurant on the corner that might buy a scanner once every five years to you know, a large retailer like a Target or a Walmart or a Home Depot that buys hundreds of thousands of these and deploys them in many different countries around the world. So we have to cover that entire spectrum of use cases and the needs of those customers are very different. And the bridge between us and those customers are the partners. The partners allow us to reach those customers physically and get the product to them but they also provide the expertise and the add-ons, if you will, the software, the service that uh, the customers need in order to successfully use our products. And so that's very important as we serve this very broad range of different types of customers is that we work with partners.
0: Back in August of 21, you noted that uh, digitization and automation within the customers that you serve uh, was moving ahead like it had never been moving ahead before, which makes sense. A lot of that happened in 2020 in a forced nature, but you've been going after this quite longer than that. So my question is around how you, as a sales leader, manage this unprecedented demand, which is probably one of the best problems uh, to have. Uh, Of course, you wanna capture every single opportunity that you can, but is it fair to say, how do you responsibly drive this extraordinary growth in sales, um, given resources which, as you noted, haven't endured that sort of unprecedented demand.
1: Yeah, so indeed, there has been a, an amazing surge in demand for digitization automation that was accelerated even further by the pandemic. A, a good example is if you think about your grocer, grocers um, had to find new ways to get products to customers when they couldn't come into stores in the way that they did in the past. So many of them created an ability For customers to either order online or to at least come to the store and pick up an order that was already put together for them, um, so called buy online, pick up in store. Um, That kind of capability requires the kinds of technology and solutions that we provide, right? Because if you want to deliver an online order, you have to have someone that will go into the store, find the right products, and put them into a cart, and then ultimately into a shopping bag or a tote. And have it ready for you or deliver it to you. And so that's the kind of digitization that we support. Usually the people that do these things will have one of our devices in their hands. Next time you see one in in a supermarket aisle, take a look at what they're holding and you'll see that it's a Zebra device, most likely. So that's the example of the surge in demand that we uh, we have seen. The challenge has been that, as you've probably seen elsewhere, the supply chain, hasn't been able to keep up with that surge in demand. It's not that the supply chain is broken down in any way. It's delivering more or less what it did before, but the demand is so much higher, right? That's what's really happening here. And so as a sales team, we have had to be extraordinarily creative and extraordinarily patient (laughs) at the same time in order to keep our customers somewhat satisfied. Uh, On the one hand, uh, the fact that we have enormous... Uh, goodwill, and fantastic customer relationships certainly has helped us. Customers trust us, and they know that um, we're trying to do the best that we can and allow us to be flexible in how we deliver to them. But in other cases, we do have to find alternatives for customers. We have to find substitutes. Um, We can tell them, we can't deliver this product right now, but we can deliver a different product right now. We have to work with our engineering teams to say, can we change the product so that uh, the component that you're currently not able to get can be substituted with a different component? So the salesperson becomes challenged by (laughs) things that they normally don't need to do. Uh, Normally, they're, they're working to get the customers interested in buying our product. Here, they're being more of a mediator between a scarce source of supply and a customer who's screaming for us to deliver to them because they need it for these new digitized workflows that they depend on to survive. So that's a new situation for our salespeople. I have to say my team, our team is doing a fantastic job of of doing that, but it's hard. It's very hard work um, to mediate between those two sort of constraints. And it's certainly something that many people haven't done before and hopefully won't have to do again in their careers.
0: Got any secret sauce for us to share about how you're managing it on the day to day?
1: Well, one of the secret sauce elements is that you have to have a good relationship with the supply chain. The first reaction in this kind of a situation is that the supply chain is the bad guy, right? The supply chain is the one who's not giving you the product that you need in order to make your quota or sell to the customer. Uh, But if you adopt that perspective, you're unlikely to be successful, right? Because the only one who can really help you <laughs> is the supply chain team. So we have been fostering, and it really has paid off, we have been fostering strong relationships between our sales teams and our supply chain teams. In fact, you know the supply chain folks sit at our table when we do all of our planning, when we do all of our forecasting, they're a part of the team. And that's really paid off. and And so we've been able to avoid this, by and large, this tension that seems to say, this is the enemy, and they're, they're costing me my commission, and instead have created a, a situation where we work to solve the problem. That's really the secret sauce.
0: So you've been able to manage this unprecedented demand, Given us a little bit of the secret sauce, appreciate that. But now I want to talk about entering an industry this unprecedented demand is surely growing the sectors where you are already present and strong. But I'm interested to know how that changes or how that develops when you enter an industry with a materially different or improved offering compared to what they've seen before. Now, the reason I ask this is because I'm guessing that it's probably something that you all are doing within packaged goods. And this is because of a new acquisition or a relatively new acquisition that you made in Antuit. That means that Zebra will go in with something they haven't been able to go in with before. And I'm curious what your best practices are when that is the question, rather than how do I grow a currently strong segment with unprecedented demand? I'd be curious to know about like the net new side.
1: Yes. So expanding into new vertical segments um, has been something we've been actually uh, working at for, I would say, about four to five years. Traditionally, our vertical segments have been retail, transportation, and manufacturing. Those are the ones that we have very traditionally served. They're the ones where you find barcodes used very heavily. We started to uh, drive into new segments really with the advent of healthcare digitizing. And um, you'll find these days when you go into a healthcare setting, in particular a hospital, that much more of your information is now digitized. And correspondingly, clinicians, in particular nurses and doctors, want to be able to also interact with all that digital information in a more efficient way, which means they start to carry mobile devices, right, where they can access that information and they can process that information. So uh, before, when you used to get medication in a hospital, you would um, typically have the nurse make a notation on the chart, say, I've now administered this medication to this patient, right? Nowadays, you would find them perhaps with one of our mobile computers in their hands. They would scan the barcodes on the pill bottle as well as a wristband that that you're wearing as a patient these days, and in doing so, record that transaction much, much faster and with far fewer errors than than existed before. So this expansion into healthcare was really our first um, expansion into new verticals. And since then, we have expanded that uh, further. Uh, When we bought our Explore um, rugged tablet business, that took us heavily into the government business. That's where a lot of those uh, rugged tablets are being used, for example, in police cars. When we bought Reflexes, they had a practice that they'd already started in the banking sector. And Antuit, as you say, our most recent acquisition, has a strong position in the packaged goods market. So Expanding into new verticals is something we have been working on and have been learning how to do. What's behind doing that? Well, the essence of it is that the use case is different. And that's really central to all of what we're selling going forward is we have to understand the use case that's driving the workflow uh, for which we are providing a solution. In the case of uh, packaged goods, for example, it's understanding how products are selling on the shelf of a retailer. That's what, they, what they're trying to do. And Antuit provides them with the analytic capability to understand that. Right? And so we've gained that capability with Antuit. Now, the, the other part that I would say we're still working on is then putting that understanding of the workflow in the hands of the salespeople. That's not so easy, right? Um, because you're, you're now trying to train salespeople who are used to selling into one particular use case in one industry, and they now are selling into a completely different industry. Generally, what we've discovered is that that's not a good idea, right? is to sort of retrain salespeople that are selling into retail to now sell into banking or into government. So what's evolved here is more of a sales force that is more vertically focused. So we now have salespeople that are dedicated to healthcare. We have salespeople that are dedicated to retail. And in the future, um, we're gonna have more sizable sales teams that are dedicated to government and banking as well. It's really necessary to have that level of dedication in order to get the expertise that the customers frankly expect, right? When they're buying from us, Uh, that's proven to be necessary. And so it's driven a verticalization of the sales force, which we're not the first ones to do, But I think we're on a good path to doing that um, more broadly now, thanks to many of these acquisitions.
0: I do want to ask one question about training broadly, but rather, let's just say, curation of talent. And that is around apprenticeship. Uh, Zebra is embracing this concept. Anybody, listeners, you can go and see how they are on their site, but we're going to hear about it directly here. I love that you're embracing that concept. I began my career in uh, SaaS sales that were six, seven figure deals. Frankly, I didn't really know what I was doing. I had to get a lot of training. I had to learn. It sounds like this is also something that you're embracing. And so I'd love to learn what apprenticeship specifically means for your team and how you find it when it comes to cultivating an effective sales force, no matter what vertical they're selling into.
1: Yeah. So I'm personally a big believer in apprenticeship. This is one of the other things that I learned in my McKinsey career is that when it comes to Solving complex problems and uh, providing solutions to clients, it's hard to teach that in a classroom. There are certain things you can teach a salesperson in a classroom, but really doing it effectively requires that you have some form of apprenticeship, which in practice means you have to be you have to pair up a newer person with a more experienced person so that the newer person can. Observe how is the more experienced person taking this to a customer? How are they positioning it? How are they handling this? Right? So that's what apprenticeship is all about. And I think it's essential if you're in any form involved in selling solutions. That's how you learn how to sell solutions. Now, not everyone is comfortable with that model of apprenticeship. We have people who've been selling for you know 30, 40 years, and uh it's unlikely that they're going to become an apprentice for someone else in order to learn, let's say, a new vertical or a new solution. But we also hire significant amounts of, of people every year that uh, are early in their careers and need to learn uh, how to sell a solution to a customer. And um, this is becoming an integral part of how we do that. So you can start to see in our sales teams these types of Relationships forming where you have, for example, a more senior salesperson who might be working with an inside salesperson or a business development manager, and they might be working together, which provides an opportunity for one person to learn from the other person of how they're doing this successfully. The other opportunity that that we have for apprenticeship is through our acquisitions, right? through the companies that we've acquired. We have gained um, a number of very experienced sellers. In many cases, these sellers were practitioners themselves in the industries that we're now selling into. And so they have a very valuable experience set that, again, we need to teach other people that are selling. So the acquisitions have become a good source of apprenticeship for us as well. Uh, I think this is going to continue to expand, and uh, we need to keep evolving our capability to make apprenticeship available to as many of our salespeople as possible. That's, in the end, how we'll be effective at selling solutions.
0: Very last question, very quick from your perspective as a leader, what is your top piece of advice for anybody seeking to become a world-class sales leader in 22?
1: Well, I think uh, for sales leaders, what has shaped my approach to sales leadership more than anything else is to always have good problem solving at the root of your approach. If you're in sales, you are constantly solving a problem. You're trying to win a deal. You're trying to enter a new segment. You have a a customer who's not happy. Those are all different forms of problems. And if you have a good problem solving capability, you can step back. You can analyze that problem. You can understand You know, what is really the root cause? What is the what is at the source of this problem? And if you can then effectively address that source, that will make for better outcomes. It will make for happier customers. And so I apply that to sales leadership at pretty much every level, whether it's the level of a deal or it's the level of, you know, how do I organize my team for 2022? That's the principle that I apply. And I'm also trying to impart that on our sales organization more broadly is that that's an essential capability that a sales leader needs to have. By no means it's the only one, but I think in, in this time where things are changing significantly, both you know pandemic and the environment that it's created for selling, but also the technological capabilities we ha- now have in selling, they all create new opportunities. And if we use our problem-solving capabilities in a smart way, then we can maximize uh, what that um, brings as benefit to us as a sales team. And that's, I think, uh, more valuable than ever in the current year, in 2022 and beyond.
0: We all look forward to seeing how it develops for the advice and the stories that you've told us today. Joe, thanks so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. To hear more conversations just like this one, head over to wherever you get your podcasts and search growth culture. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review to let us know how you liked this one. To learn more about dedicated.ai and our other events, visit us at our website by the same name or just send us an email at jl at dedicated.ai. We'd love to hear from you about what you'd love to hear from us. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Conner, signing off.